episode 156, Letting HIEs Sweat the Interoperability Uphill Battle, at least in the short term. Today, I speak with Don Lee from Glide Health IT and the HC Biz Show podcast. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. It's rare. You read an article these days about health tech and not see the interoperability word, at least at some point, probably more than once. If that was a drinking game, we'd probably all be really drunk by now. Today, I speak with Don Lee, a fellow podcast host, about how health information exchanges, otherwise known as HIEs, can assist us in the short term to get our data integration act together. This is a little bit of a reality check. Blockchain and some more elegant solutions might be coming, but today, right now, we need to meet quality measures. And you can't meet quality measures without having a handle on the trips to the ER, the eye exams, the specialist visits, all the things that your patients might be doing outside the four walls of any given provider office. Don Lee is the president of Glide Health IT, and he is the host of the HC Biz Show podcast, which I would totally recommend you check out. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Don. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's talk about interoperability, which is your special area of expertise. Maybe just to level set, what does interoperability mean? I'm so happy that that's the way you started this, because I think that is where we tend to fall down a little bit. And uh, like the, the way I look at this is that we already have interoperability in healthcare. What I mean by that is if you can show me a case where we have a clearly defined use case, we've got willing parties, and we've got some money, then you can connect them, you can have interoperability. What we don't have is this, I think this is what people are looking for where we're falling down, is this ubiquitous semantic interoperability where basically we just expect every bit of data to be everywhere that we might need it someday. And when we think of the use case, it should be able to support that use case. And we also don't really want to pay for it. So it's kind of like we want everything for nothing and therefore we get nothing. The problem with interoperability is that me supplying other people with data doesn't help me. <laughs> it's only right. the getting of the data back. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why like when the expectation is that everybody should just do this because it's the right thing for the patients and it's the right thing for the healthcare system, like it's a noble thought. And I wish that that is the way it could work. But the reality is, is that, yeah, these these are businesses and like these things cost money. And another thing is like when you start sending the data around, if you're not getting anything back for it and it's not really helping you, there is plausibly some amount of risk there to these these folks when you ask a, a doctor to start sending all the data out about their patients. So I'm getting nothing back. I'm taking on some risk and you want me to pay for it. I'm, I'm going to move on. I've got other priorities. I've got lots and lots of other priorities because I work in healthcare. Here's the thing, though. We have MACRA, we got MIPS, we've got quality measures that are starting to become a greater portion of people's income. Do you think, based on that, that the interoperability conversation is going to 
heat up? I think absolutely yes. And you're starting to see it already. What you can't do as a as a doctor is kind of sit back and just think about things from your your uh, just within your four walls anymore. It's just it's it's not good for the patients and and ultimately it's not good for your business now because of the way they're setting up all these different models. Whether you're an individual physician in your own practice or you're working for a large system or in one of these like ACOs or you know typically connected type environments, you're playing a team game now, whether you like it or not. If you only look at the data that's in your EMR first, like a quality measure that's uh, checking for colonoscopies or breast cancer screening or out of control A1Cs or something like that, your data might suggest that those things didn't happen or are out of control. Whereas your patient actually saw another clinician in the region, you're just not aware of it, and they tested them, they had their A1Cs done, and they're all good. So if you can get access to that data, it actually will improve your score and improve your reimbursement. Uh, on the flip side, there could be things about your patients that have happened out in the community that you need to know about because otherwise you're not going to take proper care of them. So if you know if your patient's getting admitted to ED every three weeks and you have no way to know about that, then you're not going to do the appropriate outreach to them and you're just not going to have the information you need to do a good job. Do you think that this is a well-known success factor. Like people are connecting the dots right now between quality measure and interoperability, or do you think that it's still a very elusive concept to most? I think it's probably elusive to most, especially anybody that's not part of a, a larger a larger practice that has an IT staff or some resources or can bring in some consultants to, to let them know about this stuff. So if you take a, a smaller practice, basically, I, I think they're generally hoping that the things that their EMR vendor is doing for them is going to be satisfactory. And, you know, coming into this first year of reporting here, I think a lot of people are going to take that bare minimum, just report the one day, one measure thing, and, you know, just hope that something changes for next year or we'll figure it out next year. I think it's being deferred right now in a lot of ways. And then when you get to the larger practices, the ones that do have these teams, I think they're starting to get there. But honestly, the spread between the organizations that are just starting to figure this out and the ones that are doing really well at it, it's really wide. So there's there's groups that are running ACOs even today or like these clinically integrated networks, and they just do not have their data in integration strategy or their quality measure strategy together. They're just winging it as they go. So it's mixed, but I think there are some more sophisticated people who maybe have developed their own measures. They are getting the data together, at least from their team, you know, all of the organizations participating in their network. And now they're starting to say, okay, how can we improve on this? How can we get some data from the community, you know, the so-called leakage data? Because you can't control where your patients go and you can be certain that they're going somewhere. What do you think people's best path forward is? Like, I know you've done a lot of work with HIEs. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the HIEs are a really great place to look. In fact, I think that's really our only short-term answer for the type of problem that we're trying to solve right now. So when you think about this, uh, the quality measure standpoint, think about all the stuff we've already talked about here where you've got to get that data from outside of your four walls. You don't know where it exists because you don't know where your patients are going. You don't even know. So you, you don't even know where to look for the data. And even if you did, then you have to get that other practice, doctor, system, whatever, who may be a competitor of yours and not really want to help you very much to provide that data to you so that you can incorporate in your system and then start to build out these measures. 
But you also, even if you get it all together, and let's say you did find it, you did convince your competitor to share it with you, now you've got to kind of normalize it all and deal with the data quality issues and everything else before you can really do anything valuable with it. So it's a tall order for anybody, even with somebody with resources and expertise, it's going to be a tall order to pull this together. And what I see the HIEs doing, or what I see some of the, some of the more successful HIEs doing is... They've already got a lot of the communities hooked up. They've already got, you know, if they've got a decent amount of providers and hospitals and, and labs and, and uh, radiology centers, et cetera, all sending data into their HIE already, that's a really good starting point for all of these types of conversations. And what's nice about it is if you do it there and you do it well and you deal with the data quality issues, it's ready for whatever comes next. And uh, anybody who's you know listening to a show like this, you know that we're going to have 10 more programs between now and next year that are going to want you to work with different provider groups and different health systems and grab different data and do all these different things. So if you're trying to you know roll your own, so to speak, and, and kind of do this on your own as your own health system, your own ACO, you got to reconnect with, you got to find these new people every year and you got to reconnect with all these different people every year and you got to maintain it over time. So the HIEs, that's what they're for. They're, they're very good at that. They've got teams of people that are in these practices in the community, helping them understand how to use these systems and get value out of them. So I think that the HIE is just, there, there's a lot of like centralized infrastructure there that's very difficult to reproduce in a lot of like small competitive centers, if you will. You had written an article about this topic, and here's a quote that I loved, Don, that you wrote. You said, one of the biggest hurdles to healthcare interoperability is that there are so many people working on healthcare interoperability. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's the whole thing when when there's, you know, that's not exactly, but when you when there's a thousand standards, there's no standards. When there's a thousand interoperability connections, there's no interoperability. Yeah, because the, the point that you were making, I thought was really strong that if individual practices and systems continue to invest in basic interoperability, then they'll run out of resources before really anything meaningful gets accomplished. That's right. That's right. And and I always liken this to it's like in, in healthcare, we've got a competitive system here in America. And I think that's fine. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to be smarter about what we choose to compete on. And today, as you look around the industry, whether it be this type of uh, data quality stuff or, or quality measure stuff or provider directories or whatever it is, this like collective information that we all need to do our you know, to take care of patients, to run our businesses, to participate in these programs. There's like this base of it where we're like, we're competing on who's better at managing Excel spreadsheets instead of competing on who's better at taking care of patients or who can be more efficient or who can have the best outcomes. Let's just talk about HIE's health information exchanges for a sec, because they do kind of have a reputation for having issues. Yeah, they, they definitely do. I, th I think that really goes back to my first point of our expectations are a little bit out of whack here. And the expectations, I think, for HIEs are a little bit out of whack. I think the expectations for the digitization of healthcare in general have been a bit out of whack because you took the whole nation, you took thousands of companies that were all working on paper in a very short amount of time. You got them all up on these electronic systems. While you were doing that, or shortly after we really kind of kicked that off, we said, all right, you new organizations, we're going to call you RIOs or HIEs, the regional health information organizations. We want you to connect all of these organizations together. 
but there's no tools available. There's no standards. There's no policy. There's none of that. So we're going to throw, you know, what we're probably end up being a couple hundred million dollars, I would imagine, across the country from federal and state governments. We're going to throw all this money out there and we want you guys to figure this out. So that's what people want to do. And so you got, you know, 150 new companies basically starting up and trying to figure all this stuff out. And you've, you're dealing with all of these kind of weird healthcare competitive issues that we touched a little bit on earlier. And you're also dealing with privacy and HIPAA and all this other stuff. And it's really, it's hard. It's, it's really hard work to do. So to think over the course of, let's say 10, 12 years, I think for most of these HIEs to think that we would expect none of them to have failed by now, I think is foolish. I think to expect that they would have figured everything out and they would just have data flowing everywhere uh, amidst all of these hurdles, I think is, is, is a bit, you know, it's, it's just asking a bit much of it. And I think I'd, I'd point to, you know, look out, there's organizations out there that are doing a really good job at it and none of them can solve 100% of the problems that we're talking about here. But I think they're the furthest along in doing it. And I think that the community and the, the nation in general has invested a lot into this infrastructure. And I think that we kind of owe it to ourselves to try to take advantage of it a little bit better than we have. As you said, there's multiple, several hundred HIEs that have been starting up around, well, they're a little bit past starting up at this juncture around the country. Where do you think if you had to you know, pinpoint a few or areas of the country which are very well covered, who, who would you point to or, or which geographies do you think really have some good ones going on right now? I'm in New York State, and there's a, a, a very well-funded program here that is broken up across eight HIEs across the state. As you look across the country, I know that there's the Health Collaborative in Cincinnati. I've heard do some very good things. There's groups in Indiana that I've heard really good things about. They are, from what I understand, doing a lot of work on this type of quality measure stuff. I think that as long as the expectation is not that you're going to go to one of these organizations and find all problems solved, but you're going to go there and find a capable group with a really good head start on solving some of these hairy issues, I, I think there's a lot of places you can go look. Yeah, actually, maybe in 2016, I interviewed three CEOs of three IEs, Utah, Louisiana, and Delaware. But what you just said earlier really struck a chord that if you already have, you know, what these HIEs are, are working hard on is HIPAA, for example, and making sure that privacy is well taken care of. So check that box. But the other thing that you said, I think, is worth exploring a bit, the idea that HIEs can format data in the way that's required by these various reimbursement entities, which is something that I didn't really realize. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this is the, that's a general concept in healthcare is that everything that we're doing kind of layers on top of one another. And wherever you go, if you take, you could probably grab almost any random provider out there and there's a good chance that they're participating. You know, they might be in an ACO. They might be participating in a Medicaid redesign, one, two, three different commercial value-based payment programs. Of course, they've got contracts with 12 different payers, you know, just for your, your typical fee-for-service stuff. And all of them are asking for information. You know, every single one, even if it's not your typical value-based program, they still need this information. Any payer needs information from their providers so that they can do HEDIS measures and that they can just track overall performance in general. The doctors are expected to be able to 
answer all of these questions and they get all this data out. So yeah, again, I think that's another thing that points to the benefit of that centralized entity. If you look at the HIE and you say, I'm a doctor, I'm going to send my data to them. If all of these programs could grab it from them, they're already good at formatting things. They already understand these programs. Then I, as a doctor, that, that helps me out tremendously. And frankly, it's going to help everybody that wants to get the data too, because on the flip side of all of that, while it's very difficult for a provider to answer all of these many, many questions from the many, many uh, middle managers, I like to call them, those payers themselves, they need that information to do their job. And when they are one of 16 people coming, it takes a long time for them to get what they need. And then they're frustrated too. So I think if you put somebody in the middle that can understand all these rules, who can format that data for today and tomorrow, and that's the other key thing too, is again, tomorrow there's going to be five more programs and next year there's going to be five more programs. And the, you know the doctors and the payers are going to have to figure all that out. So it just, it makes sense to consolidate that expertise in my opinion. Is that something that's happening right now? So in other words, if I'm a physician and I have to report to this payer and that payer and Disrup and we've got MIPS and MACRA coming up, it is a capability that exists at this exact time that I can shoot my data into the HIE and they'll give it back to me in some sort of normalized fashion that I can then shoot over to the payer or that they'll send it for me. Short answer is yes, but in in certain cases, there are HIEs across the country that I know are starting to put these tools in place and are starting to perform these services, but it's very early on. So I'll, as the capabilities exist, but I, they're, they're far from tried and true at this point. But in my opinion, there is no tried and true. Uh, I've spent the last, I don't know, five years very steadily trying to help ACOs move their data and, you know, trying to get things into HIEs and out of HIEs and trying to help people to solve their provider directory problems, all these different issues that involve lots of people, lots of middle managers asking the providers for information. And there's no good solutions out there. There's people who've done it well, but their solutions haven't scaled yet. And, you know, I think it's just where we are as an industry. So I think that's what you're going to see happen. That's that's firmly my belief is you're going to start to see a couple of these early on HAEs that are starting to get ahead of this and are starting to serve as the QCDR. Those are the ones that can actually take care of the MIPS measures for the doctors. I think you'll start to see some of them having success. And I think then you'll start to see some follow on activity. But it's going to it's going to be a little while, unfortunately. But that's just the nature of this game, I think. You touched on provider directories earlier in this conversation, and I have to say I did not realize until listening to your podcast where you delved into the topic of provider directories, how much of a crucial bedrock having a good provider directory is. Absolutely, it is. The problem with provider data is rampant in basically every aspect of healthcare. And it really, it hurts us in so many ways that there, and there's so few people who even realize well, where, where it's causing problems. But I can assure you that if you, if you find a problem in healthcare, you know, not like, not directly related to like care, let's say, but any administrative problem in healthcare. And I bet you you're one or two hops away from a provider directory problem or a provider data problem. But it applies to quality measures, and it's important because we are starting to pay our providers and pay organizations based on how they take care of individuals, and we can't always identify who those individuals are. So, you know, this goes beyond not being able to get the data. We don't even know what data to ask for. I have to say, I was completely shocked 
at a thing that you think would be so simple, you know, even at the simplest level is clearly a big struggle. Everyone's doing it separately. And when everyone does it separately and, and not even separately, like from organization to organization, but within an organization, uh, I guarantee you walk into any health system, any payer, you've probably got 10 different databases with provider data in them. And everybody's maintaining it separately and they're all wrong and nobody can agree. But why does that matter? Simple use case would be it's really important that the group at a health plan knows who is actually in a health plan and participating in that plan and whether or not they're accepting patients and how to get a hold of them because they're going to put that information on their website. And then a patient who is in open enrollment and trying to choose between plans is going to say, oh, I need a, you know, I need a primary care physician. I just moved in a new part of town. So I'm going to pick a new one. I'm going to pick one that's close to the bus line that I can get there on. And then I'm going to pick that plan. In most cases, you're going to do this. You're going to sign up for the plan and you're going to find out later that that provider doesn't work there because they are part of a large health system and that health system happened to report that all of their providers worked at all of their locations or they do work there, but they're not accepting new patients or they do work there, but they actually aren't participating in that plan. They were on the list on accident. And, you know, so that's kind of like problem one, I think, or at least the most visible problem. And that's the problem that you've got CMS going after right now. And you've got uh, California in particular. They have a uh, pretty toothy legislation and SB 135. I believe, I hope I said that right. <laughs> Pretty toothy legislation though, that like they're really going after these health plans to make sure that those lists are accurate completely. And they're, they're focusing on it completely from that access and patient service aspect. Yeah. And then based on what you were talking about earlier, if you don't even know who the providers are, it makes it very difficult to report on quality measures because you have no idea who did what, when, and in what context. Yep, that's correct. And that context is so huge. There's so many crazy use cases that that screw everything up. Do you have one? The best example would be looking at a Medicaid redesign program. We, you know, and, and, and in particular, when you're talking about the Medicaid community, you tend to have providers that, you know, might volunteer in some different contexts. They might have private practice contexts where they take care of Medicaid patients. And then they might be part of this, you know, in this case, a DISRP initiative. And you produce a attribution list for this community health center where they happen to work and try to attribute the patient to that organization because the, that doctor has seen them and the doctor is part of that organization. But it's actually not that patient was not seen by that doctor in that context. They were seen when they were volunteering at a local clinic. So this gets complicated real quick, but I think the bottom line is that anytime you measure somebody, and especially if you start to incentivize them on it, if they don't like the results, the first thing they're going to do is call your data into question. And when we give them easy ones like that, so to speak, where they could very easily point and say, that is not our patient. And if you do a little bit of work, you'll find out easily that's not our patient. Now I can start to cast doubt on all of the numbers that you've provided to me and, you know, start to gum up the works on that front, too. In other words, a clinician, a, a physician has a private practice somewhere on some given Sunday. They're down at the local public clinic helping out. And then all of a sudden that physician's private practice is getting dinged because they didn't meet a quality measure because of patients that that physician saw down the street at the yes. at the walk-in. Oh, got it. Yes, exactly. And that is just one small example uh, of a very complicated problem. And and the other thing I think that that create uh, kind of casts doubt on all of this 
for the providers themselves is that attribution methodology that CMS will use or like a State Department of Health will use at the Medicaid level tends to be kind of a black box. So you don't know, like you, you only know what you think, you know, they give you the list and, and, and you go through it and you try to mark it up the way you think is appropriate, but you don't actually know the logic that went into it all the time. It's hard to arrive at the same result ahead of time, if that makes sense. So what are people trying to do about this? You know, like if I'm a payer and obviously I have to get my provider directory straight or if I'm trying to calculate people's quality measures, obviously this is a total quagmire and and probably the answer is four hours long. But, but. It, it definitely could be. I've done nine shows on it, I think, so far. <laughs> Those were all an hour long. So I'm nine hours in and uh, I've, I've, I've nowhere near given it the complete coverage that I'd like to. To, to give you something, though, what are, what are people trying to do about it? There's one class of people that aren't far enough along in the process to realize that this is going to be an issue for them. So they're not thinking about it at all. And this is kind of a an obstacle that's coming down the path for them. There are from the payer community, I, I guess in general, I think the payer community is driving this where there is uh, action happening because that's who CMS is threatening to find. And that's who California is threatening to find for the most part. California does have a little bit of teeth in it, if you will, for providers, but it's mostly the payers are being held accountable for this. So that's really who you see trying to drive things in this regard. And there's a ton of different approaches. Um, CAQH has convened a kind of like a uh, industry think tank almost. I don't know, that's not the right terms for it, but like an industry collaborative where they're just trying to define the problem. And they're trying to get everybody on the same page to say, can we even define what this thing is so that we can go start to address it? Can we define what we think a solution might look like so we can start to go address it? So there's some of that kind of work going on. Out in California, again, they have a statewide group that is convening with a bunch of different vendors and payers, the, the big payers out there, led by, I don't know, led by, but Anthem is one of the big ones. They are doing a regular kind of convening sessions to try to design a solution as well. And they're actually going to sanction and pay for a statewide solution to the problem. So they're actually going to go and try to build one out there that solves this. There's dozens at least uh, of vendors out there that are putting different products out. But I guess just like every other interoperability problem, you've got a lot of different people trying to do it their way. So it's difficult to say what this is going to look like. And it's difficult to say whether or not they're even going to, in the end, be solving the same problem because it's got a lot of angles to it. And if I'm a provider, obviously I've got some skin in the game here because if my quality measures aren't being calculated properly, then yeah, that could be an issue. How do I ensure that I'm listed properly? in the various places? Like what can I do in order to ensure that my digits are correct? Yeah. The best thing you could do is try to have like a single point of contact within your office that understands what contracts you are participating in and tries to understand the context behind them so that they can either answer the questions properly themselves or direct the requester to the appropriate place because maybe the practice shouldn't be answering the question, but the ACO should be answering the question in this particular context. The other thing, and this one's unfortunate that we've heard is, uh, again, due to all of this complexity, is a lot of the doctors feel like they'll answer these questions and then nothing happens with it. So they feel like they do give the correct information and that correct information doesn't make it to the correct place at the payer. 
and then they don't their website it doesn't get updated on the website. So they feel like they've given the right information and it's still wrong out there. And that kind of gets back into that within the payer itself. They may have given that information correctly to say the billing department, but the billing department's not connected with the network department or the marketing department or whoever it is that put out whatever list they're still wrong on. So it just didn't make its way all the way through all the systems within that organization. And if someone would like a little bit more advice from you, my friend, or information about Glide, which is your company, where can they go for more info? Yep, they can find me at uh, glidehealthit.com as the website and tells you a little bit about what I do there. You can reach me at don.lee at glidehealthit.com. Also, the uh, podcast blog, like that whole area, which is thehcbiz.com uh, and that podcast you you can find you can find it right there on the website but then of course you can find that on itunes and stitcher and google play and all the other places where you might find by podcasts and i really enjoy the podcast because it takes a deep dive down into some very specific issues and you you've deep dove <laughs> like a grammar here um, <laughs> into three topics thus far you want to talk about those topics Sure. Um, yeah, we started out in the infection prevention and control space. The numbers behind infection, the costs it drives and the harm that it drives to patients is scary. And I guess if I was going to pull one tidbit out of there that I thought was powerful is multiple speakers from multiple roles in the industry pointed out how our environmental services teams and our, our like our custodial staff in these hospitals is kind of the number one line of defense against this thing that is costing us tremendously and harming so many people. And we put people in this position, they're low paid, they're untrained, we don't give them good tools, and we just don't treat the work with respect. And if the healthcare system doesn't treat the work with respect, then many of these workers might not too. And that's like your front line of defense. So it was, uh, it was, it, it was interesting to hear that come from a lot of different angles. And then you had your series about provider directories and you're looking yes. to do QM quality measures coming up. Looking forward to yep. that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that one as well. Awesome, my friend. It has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoy your show as well. And I will say, and don't cut this, I know how this works, uh, to all your listeners, you all need to understand how hard it is to produce these podcasts and to do 150 of them. I just want to uh, applaud you, Stacy, and tell everybody that they should all really appreciate this hard work. Well, I you appreciate do, you, that. You do awesome. Thanks, Don. <laughs> Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.